Hey, my name is Jason. I'm the producer of Relationship Radio. I wanted to let you know that we have a brand new website solely dedicated to working on your pies. Introducing itstartswithattraction.com. You can listen to every episode, learn about the pies, and sign up for our weekly newsletter. Go to itstartswithattraction.com. It starts with attraction, one word. It starts with attraction.com to get signed up today. So what do you do when there are two of you? You both want to be heard. You both want to get your way. I mean, it's not that you're trying to be selfish necessarily, but when it comes to some issue, you very, very much see it differently. He wants to do it one way. She wants to do it another. It can refer to all kinds of things. For example, maybe one of you wants to have children and the other is like, no, no, I'm not ready for that. I'm going to wait for a while. And the other person's saying, but I really want a child. I want a child now. Or maybe, just maybe, somebody gets a job offer and the other person's saying, but I don't know if we really want to move over there. I don't want to live here. When the person that got the job offer is saying, but that's my opportunity. I can finally get to do the thing I want to do. It can apply to just about everything in life that you can imagine. Some of them, some of the things that maybe other people might view as being somewhat trivial. And then some of these things are so extremely important. And you're saying, what do we do when we don't agree? What do we do if we don't agree? I remember a few years ago, for example, a couple that I knew, he wanted to be a world adventurer. I mean, not just travel on vacation, a little bit here and a little bit there. He literally wanted to take his family and move to various places in the world, live two or three years, kind of ingest the culture, understand everything there, and then pack up and move to a different place in the world. She, on the other hand, had grown up in a small community. She liked being around a family. She was the kind of person who really wanted her support system And she was saying, no, no way. There's no way I want to move all around the world with you. He's saying, but it's my lifelong dream. And she was saying, my lifelong dream was to live here, being close to my family. I mean, we could bring up any number of scenarios that you might think of and say, people really don't talk about those things before they get married? No, often they don't. And if you're not married and thinking about this in terms of a single, and yet there's another person in your life who is significant and important to you, and you're developing a relationship that you hope will become permanent, maybe right now you're looking at the very same thing. Wait a minute, what we want just seems so very different. You want this, I want that. I don't know if there's any way we can ever find a solution. Well, let's talk about the possibility. When there is that thing, or maybe a couple of things that you see so differently, he wants it this way, she wants it that way, then what do you do? Is there a potential here? Is there a way to find a solution so that both of you can be happy? Now, if you've listened to this program regularly, you know that one thing we talk about is that people do not like being controlled. What do I mean by that? Where one person is saying, you know, you always get your way, or at least it feels like that. And you dominate, you argue, you do whatever you need to do until finally I get in. And I'm not going to give on in on this one. I mean, you can argue all you wish, but I know what it is that I want. And so whatever solution we come up with can't be to the favor of just one. It can't be that you can so talk your way into the other person's mind that finally he or she just says, okay, okay, let's do it your way. Because quite often when you think you've actually convinced the other person, in actuality, all you've done is get them just to give up. 
<laughs> what do you mean? I mean this. You just keep on and keep on and keep on until finally they think, I just can't take it anymore. And that's when they say, okay, whatever you wish. But in actuality, it's not really what they're thinking. They're resenting you because you didn't give up. They're resenting you because you kept on. They're resenting you because you just wanted to get your way. Now, if you're thinking, okay, Joe, if you are going to share with us here some principles, will it solve every situation in life? And of course, no. I don't know of any one thing that will solve every situation in life. But the principle I'm about to teach you can resolve most. As a matter of fact, maybe nearly all. Now, not necessarily all. Because sometimes, just sometimes, what one person wants becomes something the other person just will not buy into. For example, a few years ago, a couple visited with me, and he said, I've come to the conclusion that I'll only be happy if I have more than one wife. That's why you do realize you live in a state where polygamy is illegal. You can't have more than one wife. Now, his wife, his legal wife, was sitting right there with him. He said, yes, but I've already found this other woman. And even though she would not be my legal wife, I guess in terms of what I read in my Bible, she'd be a concubine, which means she'd have most of the privileges of a wife without being my legal wife. And I want to move her in with us. And my wife just won't go along. Now, he thought, he thought what he would do was open up his Bible and convince her that she would do it by what he read there, that you can have that men in the Old Testament, for example, had many wives and concubines. And she sat there looking at him as he went through this, and she was getting angrier and angrier. Not that she had just heard it the first time. They talked about it quite a long time before they ever came to see me. And he looked at me and said, so you give me a Bible solution to this. Well, no. Most of the things I do in marriage is I'm not trying to say this is what you should do based on this, that, or the other. I talk about things like understanding each other and figuring what's going to work best for you. But what I told him, I said, if you're looking for that kind of evidence, that kind of proof, I can just tell you this. You will not convince her because no matter what you cite as your authority, she's not going to live with you and another woman that she's going to consider to be your other wife or concubine, so you can forget it. Now, in a situation like that, I don't know that those principles I'm about to give you will work. But if it's not something that intense, that's so different. In other words, if it's something about I want to live here and she wants to live there, I want to pursue this occupation, and, and he doesn't want me to because he thinks I should be doing that. Most of those kinds of things, this principle I'm about to share with you will work. Now, I'd love to take credit for it, but it's not mine. Actually, I read about it from Dr. John Gottman. He was a guy who for many years was at the Love Lab at the University of Washington, out in Washington State. And as he was trying to help people figure out, what do you do when your life desires are so different? Because quite often they are. I mean, you actually can have the couple where he grew up as the only child, and his whole concept is that's what we want. We want one, one child when we finally have children. She grew up in a home with eight or nine children, loved having that big family, and had the idea that when we get married, we'll have a ton of children. And interestingly, with that and many other things, a lot of people just don't talk about it before they get married. And so it's after they get married. Now, okay, maybe it's time for us to start a family and how many we're going to have. And they're thinking very, very differently. Those are what's called conflicting life desires. Gottman says that a life desire is something that's part of your identity. 
is something that you fully expect to achieve in life. It becomes part of who and what you are. And so you grow up with this idea that you're going to do this, have this, accomplish this. Somehow it's going to exist. Yet the person you marry may grow up with a set of life desires. And these may not be things that you've even articulated to yourself. They're things that you fully expect to occur, but not because you sat down and planned them. It's just what you just thought was going to occur. And when they become this conflict, oh, they can be trouble. And so Gottman said, here's what you do. He said, what you're going to do is this. Most people argue about everything they want. So let's say you have this issue going on here, and she's got her list of all the things that she wants. He's got his list of all the things that he wants. Now, we're not talking about different things. We're talking about this one issue. But when it comes to that issue, she's got this big picture idea of how it should be. He's got this big picture idea of how it should be. Godin says what you want to do is this, and I agree wholeheartedly. As a matter of fact, I have taught this system to many couples, and I have seen it work. I have seen people actually use it where it works. He said, the first thing you do is you sit down and you write down all the things that you want about that particular issue, whatever it might be. You write down everything about it that you think, this is what I should have. This is what I want. Then you go back and you look at it and you start dividing them into two different areas. Now, one is the area where you're going to be rigid. What that means is I can't give this up because if I give this part of it up, I'm certainly not going to get what's important to me. Therefore, I have to have this or else I feel like I lose. But then you start looking at the things that you want, but that if in actuality you really did give up, you'd still get the important things to you. In other words, things that while you may want them, you can be flexible about. So he calls it the area where you're rigid and the area where you're flexible. Now, you know that a lot of people have trouble moving anything into the flexible area. And there's some reasons for that. Sometimes a person finds it difficult to put things in the flexible area because of the fact that he or she has, at some point has given an inch and wound up losing a mile and thinking, I'm not going to have that again. So what I'm going to do is draw my battle line way out here so I can get everything that I want. Thinking maybe later, maybe, maybe, just maybe, I can use part of that negotiation, but I'm going to draw my battle lines out there, and that's what I'm going to fight for. Whereas the other person doing the same kind of things, and a great deal of conflict takes place because each of you cannot get everything you want. And that's why he's saying, okay, be honest with yourself. Sit down and figure out, what do I really, really want here? What's the core? What's, what's the kind of thing that I just can't give up if I'm going to get what's important to me? But on the other hand, I should be just as open and just as honest about figuring out the things that I can give up and really get what I want. Now, I may want those things, but that, that's a core issue. Uh, the core, that's what I really, really want. And if I do that, then he says, look, it's like this. When I'm willing to give up certain things, so that we'll call in my area of flexibility, and you're willing to give up things, we'll call that your area of flexibility, actually have a much greater likelihood of finding a compromise with which we can both feel comfortable. Why? Because of the fact that I'm going to get the core issue. Now, let me see if I can illustrate this with a couple um, from several years ago. I even sometimes tell this story in our workshop for marriages in crisis. Now, you do understand that while sometimes we talk on this program about some of the things we talk about in the three-day intensive workshop we do for marriages in crisis, I can't give you all the information here that I would give you 
there. Not because I'm trying to hide it from you. I'm not saying that. Or that you've got to pay me to get it even. I'm not even trying to say that. But because of the fact that when I'm in a room full of couples and we've had several days together, you know, we use three days in that tense workshop. There are things I can talk about because they make more sense because we've been talking about a whole lot of other things that make them make sense. Whereas you're listening to this, it's kind of a one-shot thing. I mean, you can listen to other of these that I have done, but it's not like us being in a room together for three days. Therefore, I can't go into it in as much detail here because it just won't make as much sense. So what I'm going to talk about here is we something we actually do talk about in our three-day intensive workshop, but in much more detail than can I do here. So let me tell you one of the stories that I sometimes tell in the workshop. This was from a workshop, actually, that we were doing for Marriages in Trouble several years ago. And this couple came. Now, when I start telling this, you're going to think, my goodness, are you sure this was in the 1950s? <laughs> no, and actually, that particular workshop was in 1999, one of the first workshops we did for Marriages in Crisis. And this particular couple came because their son, and they had an only child, their son was just about to start the first grade. And the difficulty they were having, the thing that they had such a disagreement about and didn't see any potential way to compromise was this. She, now that the boy was about to start first grade, said, I've been happy being a homemaker, but now I want to do something differently. I want to go out there and make my mark on the world, so I'm going to go to work. He responded by saying, no, I adamantly refuse. You need to be a homemaker, and you're not going to work outside the home. Now, I realize, as I said that, you're going, what? I mean, did they live in this century? Well, actually, no, they lived in the last one, but, but only by a year. But it was not the 1950 scenario that you might think. It wasn't that he was being a misogynist. It was not the fact that he was saying that women have to work out of the home. That really wasn't the issue at all. If you had just listened to them, you would have thought that was what it was. But what I did was help them think through what really is your area here that's rigid? What is it that you can't give up? Now, I'm going to start using a little bit different language here than Gottman uses. And rather than calling it the area where you're rigid and the area where you're flexible, I'm going to be talking about what is a core issue, which would be similar, very similar to what Gottman calls the rigid area. The core, core issue is this. What is it that you really, really want? Now, if you can understand what it is that you really, really want, now, that's the thing that you hang on to and you don't give up on. But is it really what you think you're finding about? And is it really the issue that you think is at hand? Now, with that couple, you know, talk to them a lot, ask them lots of questions. And, of course, I did assume. I did assume that maybe he was living in the 1950s and thinking that all women have to be homemakers if they're wives, which obviously we, we left that a long time ago. And wondering if there was something else going on between the two of him where he was just trying to lock down on her because maybe he was jealous of her. Like, oh my goodness, if you're out there and not at home, maybe you're going to run off with some other guy. I mean, I could see all kinds of potential reasons about why he might not want her out there. And so all I could do is ask because there's no way I could know what that was. And then at the same time, I wanted to know what it was with her. Now, it could be as simple as what she said. Hey, my son's now ready to go to school. I want to go out there and make my mark on the world. I want to find a job and do my thing. It could be something else. It could be because she's thinking, wow, we need more money, and he's not bringing in enough, so let me find a way to make more. I mean, there are all kinds of different potential motivations for each one of them, you understand? And I can't just 
all of a sudden say, mm, I think your motive is this and your motive is that. I have to ask questions to figure them out. And hopefully, hopefully by asking those questions and digging in and prying a little bit, if you will, I can help them through the questions, figure out what the core issue is for them. Because as you might understand, sometimes people don't even know what it is they're arguing about. What I mean is they think they're fighting over one thing when in actuality they're fighting over another altogether. And that's exactly what was happening with this couple. Now, we're not going through all the rigmarole of everything that we talked about, all the questions I asked, all those kinds of things, the, the answers they would give that I would then ask more questions about, trying to dig deeper and deeper until finally, finally, hopefully all three of us could see what was really going on. Let me just go to the bottom line. Here's the bottom line. Her mother had been a businesswoman. She had grown up as an only child, and she revered her mother. As a matter of fact, her, her mom was a hero. And she liked the fact that her mom went out there and made a mark on the world and did things and helped people, and people talked about that. And her expectation from childhood would be that someday she would do the same. Now, that's the thing that Gottman, that I referred to earlier, would call a life desire. My expectation, my life desire. And it was part of her identity. Hey, I fully expected that when, after we had our child and he got old enough, I'd go out there and work in the world and do my thing. So it was her basically wanting to emulate what her mom did, not necessarily in the same occupation, not even necessarily in the same way, but I want to go out there and do my thing and be out there so that I can feel that in addition to being a homemaker, which she was happy being, that I've done something beyond that. Now, his core issue, and it took us a while to dig down to his, was that he also was an only child. Now, the interesting thing is that he had been what we today would call a latchkey kid. They just didn't use that phrase back then. What that meant was that his dad worked outside the home and his mom worked outside the home, and he'd ride the school bus to school every morning, and then he'd ride the school bus home, school bus home every afternoon. And then he'd be home for three hours, two hours, something like that, uh, two or three hours, maybe four, before anybody got there, before mom got off work and got home, or before dad got off and worked home and came home. And so in those hours that he was home alone, he said was all the trouble that he'd ever gotten into. Now, not just trouble, but it was his own fears, like sometimes he'd be there alone, and particularly when he was a little younger, he'd hear noises and think, oh my goodness, something's come to get me. How am I going to protect myself? As he got older, he would not just stay inside. You understand that several years ago, I mean, back when that man would have been a boy, it was not uncommon for people to play in the yard and play in the neighborhood. It was not nearly as dangerous as it appears to be today. But when he got into mischief, when he got into things in which he got into trouble, like getting into a fight and getting beat up or doing something where that his mom or dad went up punishing him because of what some other mom or dad told him he had done, all the trouble that he had, he'd gotten into being home alone. Now, if you followed that, you probably figured out what his core issue is. His core issue was not some belief that, wow, women have to stay in the home. That was not it at all. What it was was about his boy. So that, hmm, don't want him coming home from school and being alone. Now, she, of course, at first said, well, why don't we just have him go into daycare when school is over? 
And he wasn't very happy about that either because he wasn't sure he wanted to trust his son to other people that he didn't really know. And so if you've listened to what I said in this story, what happened is we got a man who just really wants to make sure his son is safe, feels safe, and is protected, and a woman who wants to not work just in the home but also work outside the home. So if you think about it, it really wasn't about whether she was working outside the home. It was about whether or not she could work outside the home and the boy would be in a situation where the dad felt safe. Now, once they came to that conclusion, that's when they started brainstorming. Okay, what can we do so that you, hubby, can feel good about our son being safe and protected and all those kinds of things, but also I, as the wife, can get out there and do something other than being a homemaker. I mean, I don't have no problems with homemakers, like homemakers, but I want to do something more and get out there and make that happen. And in that brainstorming about now, how can we do that? Understand that they started giving up things. You say, what do you mean? Well, he had been drawing his battle line out there. You will not work outside the home. When he finally understood what his core issue was, it was, can you be home when the son is home? which was a different thing. And that gave him a whole lot of areas of flexibility. I would prefer that you not work outside the home. Therefore, I'm sure you'll be here when he gets home, she, he's thinking. But that becomes a flexibility. She can, she can work outside the home, and he still get what he wants if indeed she's there when he gets home from school. And that's what they figured out how to do. For her to get a job that allowed her to be home when he got home from school. So both were happy. They both were happy. She was happy because she got to do what he, she wanted to do. He was happy because he felt like the son was safe. But you understand, as long as they thought they were arguing about whether he worked outside the home, nothing was being accomplished. It had to be, let's give up a lot of the things, find out what our core issues are, and stay with those core issues. So I'll give you another example. And sometimes think, people think I'm being a little silly with this one, but for those people, it was a pretty serious issue. She had been married before. And the guy she had been married to was really not a very nice guy. As a matter of fact, I'd call him a jerk. But hey, it's not my privilege to do that. So you assume whatever you want to about him. But one of the things that he would do is that he would go buy very exotic lingerie and he'd bring it home to his wife and he'd chastise her if she didn't wear it. I mean, he would just stay after her, stay after her until finally she'd put it on. And when she was wearing the exotic lingerie, he'd call her some pretty bad names. Let's see. Maybe, maybe I should just skip all of those in this environment. <laughs> just imagine, just imagine some of the names that a man might call a woman when he's trying to uh, sexually mistreat her, make her feel as if she's worthless and useless. And so when she'd wear that exotic lingerie he'd bring home and he called her all those terrible names. And of course their lovemaking was anything but lovemaking. It was sex and it was tough. It was rough. She didn't like it. She felt totally degraded. Finally, finally he left her for somebody else, divorced her, married some other woman, moved on. She was single for a while. By this time she was about, oh, mid thirty-ish. And she meets a single guy. He's mid-30s. He's never been married. They marry each other. Now, after that, it wasn't too long before he said, oh, by the way, he had never been married before. That becomes part of the story here. And so he said to her, why don't you go over to Victoria's Secret and see if you can figure out what that secret is? In other words, why don't you go buy some 
uh, exotic lingerie, some erotic stuff, and bring it home and wear it. And she reacted badly. <laughs> well, badly is the wrong word. Let's just say negatively. She didn't like that request. Now, she tried to tell him, I'm not going to do it. My first husband treated me badly, etc. I wound up trying to help them one day. And it was like, okay, let's get to the core issue here. Let me see if I can help you figure out what's going on. Now, for him to understand her core issue, what I said was, why don't you tell him one of those stories? A story about a time when, a time when he brought home one of those things and you put it on and tell him what happened. I don't mean a sexual blow by blow, by blow of what occurred in the bedroom. I'm not saying that. But the kind of things he said to you, the way he treated you, the way that you felt. Now, the reason I wanted her to tell the story is because sometimes, sometimes the best way for us to understand the other person is not just to hear their arguments or their logic, but to understand the stories underneath that. And if a person is telling a story about something that's happened to him or her and allows himself or herself to visually see that story, then the other person, as he or she hears it, kind of gets a mental picture of it, too. Now, obviously, it's not the exact mental picture, but it's at least a mental picture. And in addition to that, if, if you're allowing yourself to see it, you often will feel some of the same emotions. And so, and so as she told the story about one of those times when her first husband had done those things to her, the pain was on her face. The pain was in her voice, even though a tear came into her eye. And he's seeing, he's seeing the emotional reaction she's having from what that guy did and how she's associating that with lingerie. And when she finished the story, I looked at him and said, do you understand her pain? He said, yes, I do. Then what do you think about the lingerie? He said, I am so terribly sorry that she went through that. And he looked at her. I am so sorry he did that to you. I, I, I feel like I need to go find him and thrash him. But that wasn't me. And I feel cheated by what he did. Now, understand the effect it has on you, but I feel cheated because now I'm having to pay for what that guy did. Now, whether you think this husband, this young new husband was right or not, at least try to understand his side, that this is the way he's viewing it. Now, in that situation, then I helped them understand what the core issue was, that it really wasn't about lingerie. That for her, lingerie was a simple of something that's very bad. Therefore, it would bring that back to her memory. And that what she really wanted, and again, I'm telling you through a whole long conversation, we're drawing down just to the, to the nitty gritty to the bottom, that her core issue, that really wasn't about lingerie. Her core issue was, I don't want to have any bad memories of what happened to me. When we make love, I don't want to feel all those terrible things I used to feel. I want to feel good about myself. I want to feel good about us. And I don't want anything to drag all of that back into my heart and my mind. His core issue was that he had not been married before. He's now 35 years old, which means if you will allow me to make the suggestion that some of his expectations of marriage were um, unrealistic. The things that he was expecting to occur <laughs> maybe beyond what reason would be because he's been fantasizing about marriage, not living in marriage. And we know that when you actually live with the other person and you're married to each other, sometimes you got a different view of reality. But, but what he was wanting, his core issue was that I want a wife who is totally uninhibited sexually with me, her husband, that there are no barriers in between us. 
Now that we understood what their core issues were, I don't want to have the bad memories. I don't want to feel bad about myself. I want to feel good about our lovemaking and not have it tainted in any way. While he is saying, I want, I just want you to be uninhibited with me and I don't want to pay for what that guy did. Then that's when the brainstorming started. Okay, let's think about some potential solutions to this. Now, they didn't give completely up on the idea of lingerie. That's a matter of fact, what they decided finally to do, and it took them a while to get there, is that they would go window shopping. And when they went, it was agreed ahead of time that nothing would be bought so that she wouldn't feel any kind of pressure whatsoever. And, and they'd go window shopping, and they'd go to the various stores that sold lingerie, and maybe not quite so mm, bad. Uh, and that's not even the right word. Bad's the wrong word. Not quite so uh, exotic. I'll just use that word as what he, the first husband, had forced on her but something that would still be sexy and, and still be exciting and enticing to this current husband. And because there was not going to be any kind of purchase made, again, she felt no pressure, and they would go only once a month. And there was no time limit on this. At some point, whenever she finally felt comfortable, if ever, if ever. In other words, she started getting past the memories because now she's shopping with this husband. They're enjoying each other. They go out to eat. They have fun walking to the mall. And now as they look at the lingerie, because she's feeling no pressure, she's beginning to desensitize herself that it really wasn't the fabric that was the problem. It was that idiot she was married to first. And whenever she was finally ready, she'd go back to the mall and she'd buy something. She would know what to buy because been looking at it for months. And when she bought it, she wouldn't tell him. She'd bring it home, and then on occasion, on occasion, she'd wear it, but he wouldn't be there. And on those occasions, she was just trying to make sure that she wasn't going to have those flashbacks mentally to what had happened to her before. And so she'd look into the mirror and say, you're a godly woman, you're a good woman, you're all those kinds of things, until she felt actually comfortable. And then one night when she finally got ready, and again, there was no time limit on this, he couldn't push it at all. Some night when she finally was ready, she would wear one of those pieces of lingerie, and that night, he knew to be especially sensitive and kind and gentle and sweet, and he couldn't ask her to wear it again. Well, interestingly, through that process, they finally got to the point where... She was getting one new piece of lingerie per month, which is better than all the rest of us. Now, if you're thinking, wait a minute, Joe, wait a minute, I, our problems are so much bigger than the illustrations you're giving. I mean, you, you talked about lingerie. That's, that's kind of minor compared to what we're facing. You're talking about somebody working out outside the home for a few hours a day. That's, that's not anywhere near as big a deal as we're facing because ours is just huge and it's such a big thing that it's actually going to pull us apart. We can't find a solution. Okay, I admit the illustrations I gave you were relatively minor, except that it wasn't minor in the eyes of those people who faced it. For them, it was a big deal. But I do admit that those are ones that maybe might just be a little bit easier to solve, as opposed to some of the other things, such as the one I told you earlier, about the man who wanted to just live two or three years here somewhere in the world and then two or three years there somewhere in the world and et cetera, while his wife was saying, hey, wait a minute, I, I want a good secure system around me of people that I know, people that love me, people I care about, a support system, if you will. And you say, that was a lot harder to solve, isn't it? Well, yeah, it is, but not necessarily insolvable. What I mean by that is that 
if they think about what is really important to me. Like, for example, in that case, we'd be asking the question to her. Now, not trying to change her mind. Don't misunderstand. I'm not trying to convince her that something's different other than what she really feels, because it's got to be based on what's true for her and what she really feels. But an exploration of what do you mean by a support system? I mean, is that going to be your mom that you've got to live close to her? Or is there something different about that? Does it possibly involve just having people around you that you can develop friendships with, that you feel comfortable with, and that because of those friendships, et cetera, and then questioning some things like, like for example, have you ever moved any place and maybe didn't know a lot of people or nobody, maybe even when you first got there and been able to develop that support system just to help her think through what truly is your core issue here? Is it being with the people you already know and that's it? Or is it a way of, hmm, how can I find a support system that's important to me? And then to him, okay, do you really have to do this back to back? Like it's going to be three years in China and then it's going to be three years in Africa and then three years in Russia. Or is it going to be that, that you can go do these things for lesser than your three year period to get what you want, but at the same time, have some time where you live together back in the States for a while. In other words, the questions kept coming and coming and coming until you finally figure out what truly is your core issue here. Now, when you can both finally discover what's truly important to you, what your core issues are and what you can give up. For example, as I just mentioned, does it have to be three years? Did those trips have to be back and back or or is there some flexibility there that you could still feel good about it if you go for a year and you have a year between, two years between, three years that three years between. In other words, let's think this through. We don't want you to give up what's the crucial issue for you, what's the core, or what Gottman would call what's rigid. But can you begin to list the things that you could give up? And by giving those up, still get what's really important to you. Now, with that, with him, and with that, with her, once you understand that, and by the way, you surely understand by now that might not be one conversation, one evening, where you go, oh, we've got it now. We've solved this. Let's go do the thing. It could be several conversations over several evenings, and it might not happen in a week. It might not happen in a month. But here's the good thing. If you're truly, genuinely trying to understand yourself and, and trying to understand the other person, starting the conversations can actually start bringing about some degree of peace, even if it takes you a while to figure what you really, really want. That's your core issue that you should be rigid about, that you can't give up. But if you know that the other person is truly listening and you are truly listening to him or her, and each of you is genuinely trying to figure out, well, how important is that part of it to me? Is that rigid or flexible? And how important is that to me? Is that rigid or flexible? In other words, can I still get my core issue? And if I can still get my core issue, then we can both be happy if we get our core issues. And the compromise we reach is not because one of us lost it's because both of us won. It's not because one of us dominates the other. It's because we're both treated as equals. It's not because one just wears the other down. It's because of the fact that we genuinely, rather than working from different sides of the table as adversaries, we're sitting on the same side of the table with a piece of paper in front of us, 
jotting down ideas and talking and thinking, well, what about this and what about that? And if the other person says, I don't think I can give that one up, that's the area of rigidity, not trying to say, oh, you're just being foolish. Think about this, think about that, but to truly, honestly listen and say, okay, I hear that. I hear what you're saying. Now, let's just for each of us say that's what we think is a core issue right now, and I will not try to convince you that it's not. But can we both still be flexible enough in our conversations that come so that as we consider these, as we go forward, that what I might list as part of my core issue, in other words, what's rigid for me now, as we think it through more and talk about it, I may decide, you know, actually, I don't think that little thing right there truly is something I've got to be rigid about. That, that actually is something I can be flexible about. I think I'll give that one up. But not because you talk them into it or force them into it or just wear them down, but because as you continue to be on the same side looking for the solution, you finally learn more about what's really important to you. Because, because as you already know, Sometimes we think this is the most important thing to me, but the more we think about it or the more we learn about it, the more we realize "Mm, that's not really a core issue there. I mean, I can give that up. Now, through that process, most problems of disagreement can be solved. If you are patient, if you can truly listen, if you are honest enough to keep looking inside of yourself to think, Am I hanging on to that just because I'm being stubborn? Or am I hanging on to that because of the fact that it's really that crucial? Now, you know through life there are some things that you thought you just had to have. But as you matured a little bit, or as life changed a little bit, that thing that you thought you just had to have, you didn't. So that can happen in this situation as well. So let me reiterate, and then if people want to make some conversation with me, if people want to ask questions, make comments, well, open the phones up if you wish to do that. And if you don't want to make conversation with me, if you don't want to ask questions or make comments, that's fine. You don't have to. We'll actually end the program earlier if you don't. If you do indeed wish to speak to me or talk about this, and, and of course, as is always the case, if you have a question that's not exactly on this topic, but but it's something that's really bothering you. It is a relationship program, and we will take other calls. We'd like to start with the ones, of course, about this topic, but we'll talk to you about anything. Our telephone number is 646-378-0424. That is 646-378-0424. Now, if you call that number, you can just listen. As a matter of fact, we've got callers out there right now, some of whom have been here since the beginning of the program, who've just been listening. Now, if you wish to speak to me, what you need to do is to hit the number one on that little dial thing you have there. And that puts a little signal up telling me that the person at that number wishes to speak to me. Now, if you don't touch that number one, I just see that you're out there and I'm not going to try to, you know, bust in there and talk to you. But if you wish to speak to me, you have to press the number one. Now, I think even if you've been on the line for a while, I think you can go ahead and press the one now if you wish to speak to me. If that doesn't work, you can call right back to that same number, 646-378-0424. And when you get that opening menu, the next time you can touch that number one, and it'll let me know that you wish to speak to me. Now, again, if you don't want to, that's fine. 
So now let me reiterate, or that's not reiterate, let me summarize what we've said so far. Okay. Sometimes issues appear to be ones that cannot be solved because you disagree so vehemently. But if, just if, you sit down and me, maybe want to even start this individually, or as I've just been talking about, do it together, and you figure out what really is the core issue here for me. What is the core issue? Once I figure that out, then maybe I can draw my metal line a lot closer and I'll find that there's some things I can be quite flexible on. If you can each do that, and even if you're doing it together, saying, okay, let's talk about it over a period of time. What's the core issue for you? What's the core issue for me? I'm not telling you you've got to give up this, give up that, but let's just keep working on what is it that I could give up and still get what I want. Over time, you can probably find a solution. As a matter of fact, it works most of the time. I can't guarantee it works every time, but it works most of the time. It obviously is not going to work if one of you is intractable. If one of you is so stubborn saying, I want everything, I'm not giving up on anything, and you'll do it my way or, or it won't happen at all, then no, the solution doesn't work. It works when there are two people trying to truly find a compromise where each one of you benefits and gets what you want. Now, one other thing I haven't said yet, let me add that here. Be careful that you understand what symbols mean. Now, I'll give you an example very quickly, and it'll sound like another trivial one to you, but it was not a trivial one for Alice and me when it happened. Many years ago, we, we finally reached a point in our life where I was making some money. Uh, we had started off, I was a minister to begin with back in the day. I didn't make a lot of money doing that. Later, I worked for my brother's paving company, and, and uh, I didn't make a lot of money doing that. I mean, my brothers were generous, don't misunderstand. But finally, I began to do some corporate work where I was doing training and education for corporations, and that became, well, well very lucrative. That's, I don't do that anymore. I'm now back in the nonprofit world, so all that money's gone. But let's go back to the time when, when Alice and I were having money because I was bringing home the big paychecks. Now, Alice said, now that we've got some money, let's put hardwood floors throughout the house. And my reaction was, oh, no, 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 no. Let's put really nice and expensive carpet throughout the house. And we actually went up arguing over that. And it was like, she wanted the hardwood floors. I wanted the carpet. And, and you might be thinking, what a silly little argument. Except for us, it was not. I mean, it became a bigger and bigger deal. And where we began to feel not heard, not understood, not cared about, et cetera. Until finally it dawned on us, why don't we start working through this where we're trying to figure out what's really going on. Look for some core issues. And in, in the process of looking for the core issues, we discovered the hardwood floors and the carpet were actually symbols that represented different things to us. Now, my family was not poverty level by any means, but they were very frugal. My parents lived through the Depression and the Great Depression of the 1930s, and just in case it came back, they socked away money regularly into FDIC-approved accounts, and if they got enough money in one where they reached the limit, they'd go to another bank and start another account. And they were doing that because they thought, well, the depression is going to come. And because of the kind of people who plan for the future. And when they finally reached retirement age, they wanted to be able to live, not like rich people, but live comfortably without any strain. And so we lived pretty frugally, not because we were in poverty. Don't misunderstand, but it's just the lifestyle my parents chose. So we lived frugally. Alice's family also lived frugally. Alice's father was a trader. 
he would drive around and buy things at one farm, sell it at the next farm, buy something else, sell it at the next farm. And, and they didn't starve either. They certainly weren't poverty level people, but that kind of life, when a man driving around with a pickup truck trading all day long, didn't bring home gigantic checks. And so they lived frugally as well. You said, what's that got to do with the story? All of my relatives that I ever went around that had, quote, made it, end quote, had nice carpet. All of Alice's relatives who had, quote, made it, end quote, had nice hardwood floors. And when we finally realized that these things were symbolic of something else, so to me, the nice rich carpet indicated we'd finally made it financially. Whereas the nice, really nice hardwood floors indicated to Alice that we'd finally made it financially. Then we discovered that our argument was not about carpet and hardwood floors. It was about what those things symbolized to us. Then our core issues changed dramatically. I mean, well, I take that back. Our core issue remained the same, but we finally understood it. The core issue had nothing to do with what kind of flooring we had. The core issue, the core issue had to do with feeling that we now were able to do some things we'd never done before because we had a little money. We weren't going to waste it, but had a little money. And once we got to that, we compromised. He said, what did you do? My office has a nice carpet. <laughs> the rest of the house has hardwood floors. But, but you understand, I was happy about it. Great. I, I know what we're doing now, and each of us is happy. So again, I'm not giving the most major illustrations in the world, but surely, surely by now you get the point. And if you do this together, you can find a solution. Now, since we've had no calls, and well, I've got a lot of people out there, but nobody wanted to talk to me, I have said what I wanted to say, therefore I'm going to end the program. I'll see you next Tuesday night.